What it is, Danny. Oh, what it do, Tyler. I don't know why I did that to start off our Christmas episode. I liked it. Fucking ho, 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 bitches. <laughs> <laughs> this is Fried Squirms. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. This episode 143. We are going to be talking about some Silent Night, Deadly Night. A legit, quote unquote, good slasher? Yeah. That's all Christmased out. But before we get there, how was your week? Not too bad, dude. Laid back for the most part. Like I said, just gearing up for the holiday once again, and, you know, just taking in some shows, some movies, things like that. Nothing, like, too far off the radar, but just kind of the same old. How about yourself? Not bad. This holiday's creeping up on me a lot quicker than I wish it was. I still have shit I need to get done. And I got, like, apartment inspections coming up, so I've been (laughs) cleaning up, trying to make sure they want to be like, yeah, we like him living here. Not like my place needs to be super cleaned up, but my cat's a stove. (laughs) <laughs> so there's shit i have to hide and that sort of thing so uh, understandable dude that and they probably don't like to see all of my smoking accoutrements <laughs> out so yeah we we got a little bit of memorabilia so yeah it's gonna be a little bit more shit going on tonight that i gotta do maybe even a little bit in the morning but they start tomorrow and go through friday and and, I mean, that's not even, like I said, holiday is creeping up, and I still got to get that shit done. So, I don't know. I feel run ragged. That's how I'm doing. <laughs> Understandable, dude. Yeah, aside from our personal little bits, I uh, came across several news articles that I thought were pretty interesting. So, I'll kind of lead off with that. But I was reading up a little bit because recently, this past Friday the 13th, actually, a little film came out called Black Christmas. Heard it didn't do too well at the box office. So they said it kind of fell flat. It had an estimated $4.42 million at the box office here in the States. If you add in its overseas, which came in at about $3.1 million, globally it opened up to about $7.52 million. Now it is going against a $5 million budget, which isn't that bad. But, you know, you factor Mm -hmm. in advertising and marketing, all that shit. It seemed like there was a decent amount of marketing for this too. It's not that the word didn't get out no we were seeing previews for a while back months ago mm-hmm. so yeah it's not like they haven't been promoting it they tried i haven't seen it so i can't say anything for certain what i've heard is that basically all the best parts were in the trailer uh, yeah that's not saying a whole lot either but yeah you kind of hate to see that you know typically when they do like pg-13 with this film is they're trying to reach a bigger audience but i think they've kind of pigeonholed themselves in from what i've read with some of the commentary they're using in this film. so. Oh, and I think I read that they actually try to play, like, the weird culty involvement or whatever it looks like. I think it's supposed to be a fraternity, but it looks super culty. Yeah, it almost you saw the trailer, like, right? Yeah, exactly. They apparently try to still play that within the movie, kind of like as a surprise, even though that was straight <laughs> on in the trailer. Yeah, like, no shit, right? And you can sort of play it as a surprise for the characters, but it sounds like that's supposed to be, like, the mood that the movie's evoking. Like, they build up to it as being, like, a twist. But it's not a twist, it's in the trailer. I know, right? It's like, uh, why would you put the (coughs) twist in the trailer? That doesn't make sense. Now, I was reading... Maybe I'm wrong. uh, I haven't seen it, but... Yeah. I don't know. Like, I'll probably hold out until it comes out to stream or rent whatnot, but... I was reading a little bit too. So if you're stacking it against the 2006 remake, well, the remake that ended with a 16.2 million dollars domestic and 21.5 million worldwide. 
So if we're comparing these two at this point, it's got a long way to catch up, <laughs> you know, which isn't saying a lot. But it makes me wonder, too, how many people actually know that it's based or loosely based off of the one that we covered. It was like 74 when it came out. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. It's like a great movie. Yeah, I loved it. So I don't think there was a whole lot they could have approved upon, but like I said, I'll hold my thoughts for later on. <laughs> All right, so the next bit of news that I ran across involves somebody we've actually covered before and also somebody we've talked about before. So for people who are still waiting for Glenn Danzig's Veronica to arrive on VOD, it has been announced that Devin Sawa, the one mm-hmm. person that we have covered because of Idle Hands, he is starring in Danzig's upcoming Vampire Spaghetti Western, and it is confirmed that the title is called Death Rider. All right. Yeah, and the little bit that I read when Danzig was talking to audience in Los Angeles, he said that, uh, he said basically everybody in the film's a vampire, so there's no, like, waiting to see somebody turn. That's, you know. Just everyone's vampires. Yeah. From the get-go. I don't know a whole lot of details. I haven't really released a whole lot, but if you're a fan of Devin and or Glenn, (laughs) check it out. I'm curious. Yeah, it's got me curious. We'll see what Mm -hmm. happens. I mean, I'm curious enough to see what they considered the horror's equivalent to The Room. (laughs) With yeah. his Veronica, so uh, we'll see. Now, a franchise we've actually covered twice on this show, and I'm talking about Phantasm. Well, the highly anticipated Wellgo USA's The Phantasm Sphere Collection has arrived, and you can pick it up if you have a Best Buy nearby. It's currently going for about 99 bucks. It is the 40th anniversary, of course, of Don Coscarelli's classic Phantasm. It is available, I think, in only one color. I know we mentioned it way back when it was going to be a white and then a black variation. Oh, okay. yeah. I think the white marbled one is the only one that's currently available. Okay. Yeah, so looks nice for people who don't have copies or are waiting, holding out to get you know Blu-ray versions. Here's your chance. It comes with a sphere. It looks pretty good. All nice. Right. The next two bit of news that I have involves Shudder, which is a streaming service we use a lot. But I did see that uh, Shudder has acquired... The Sundance titles Scare Me and La Llorona. Now, I do know one of them is going to be streaming pretty soon because as a part of Shudder's 2020 releases, I saw some really good ones that are coming out. One of them I think I mentioned to you during the work week, but I did see that the original series, The Deadlands, which the film that we covered, is premiering. The first two episodes is going to be on Thursday, January 23rd. Some other films is going to be The Marshes. You can check that out on January 9th. The film Bliss on January 30th. There's also The House of the Devil. You can see that on January 1st. There's a film entitled Ludz, which looks pretty decent, man. I've heard Mm. some pretty good things about that. That one's coming out in January. The Monster Squad as well. Oh, shit. I haven't seen Monster Squad in a long time. Yeah. I haven't seen The Monster Squad in... That's my shit. A long time. Yeah. January 6th, there's a couple of films. You can see Demon and the film Patchwork. On the 13th of January, there's Tammy and the T-Rex, which stars, believe it or not, Paul Walker, rest in peace. Oh, shit. And Denise okay. Richards, which is recently released. <laughs> it was released for the first time on Blu-ray just recently, but you can check out the uncut R-rated version, like I said, on Shutter. On the 20th, there's the film Four Hands. Uncut. R-rated. R-rated. Yeah, so it's like I said, some pretty decent films, man. I'm happy that they finally have these things. 
yeah, so that rounds out our little personal bits. Like I said, some of the news that I thought was interesting. And, uh, dude, I'm really excited about today's episode, man. Hell yeah. Well, let's get right into it and hit the guts and bolts on Silent Night, Deadly Night. Guts and bolts. Silent Night, Deadly Night. Merry Christmas, bitches. <laughs> Start with a spoiler-free synopsis. Uh, let's see. A young man with a traumatic past involving Santa Claus quite heavily has a bit of a break of the psychotic nature when having to play Santa at his local department store. Murder ensues. <laughs> dun dun dun. Yeah, dude, I like it. So with this spoiler-free synopsis, we also like to talk about our cast and crew this week. I'm There's gonna lead a off. big fucking cast in this movie. There really is, and I can kind of breeze through it, thank God, because a lot of these people, they're kind of making their film debut. But this week, we're going to lead off with our director, and that gentleman is Charles E. Sellier Jr. The other films of note are Snowballing and The Annihilators. He's also a producer in a lot of films as well. Well, he's way better known for one oh, other Oh, Grizzly thing. Adams, yeah. He's the creator Huge. of The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, which is insane. Yeah, he did a he lot of television this. work. Yeah. And he did a lot of... Jesus like, stuff? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And then he also did this movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I'll talk about it later on while they chose him for the directing role. All right, so our writers on this are Paul Kamey and Michael Hickey. Michael Hickey and Paul Kamey are both also credited for some of the characters in the sequel, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. The cinematographer on this film is Henning Schellerup. He's also known for working on The Life and Times of Grizzly Adams, the film Snowballing, and The Annihilator, so he mostly worked with Mr. Cellier. The editor on this film is Michael Spence. He's known for editing such films as Hangar 18, which Cellier was also a producer on. He's also edited such films as Legend of the Wild, Snowballing, the film Jakarta, and the film The Dread. And the music was composed by Perry Bakken Jr. He's known for composing the music for the film Going South, which if you're a Jack Nicholson, Mary Steenburgen fan. There's also an actor who was in this film that was in that film as well I'll mention later on. He's also known for helping with the Mork and Mindy television series as well from 1978 uh, through 1982. Dig me some Mork and Mindy. Yeah, nanu, nanu, bitches. <laughs> this film was produced by Ura Barmack, Scott Schneid, and Dennis Whitehead. The production companies were TriStar Pictures and Slate Ride Productions Incorporated. The distributor was TriStar Pictures for the 1984 United States theatrical release. It had a budget of an estimated $1.065 million here in the States. Opening weekend, it made $1.43 million, and it grossed right around $2.5 million. Some little interesting bits of news to talk about later on with that. And I do have a tagline. There's several, but the one that I liked was, He knows when you've been naughty. Okay. What are the other ones? Do you have them written down? Or... Alright, so the other one that, it's on the poster as well, it says, You've made it through Halloween. Now try and survive Christmas. I kind of like that one. <laughs> it's not bad. That's fun. <laughs> awesome, dude. All right, so with the cast, the way I'm going to do this is because there's a couple of actors who play the same part but at different ages. So I'll make okay. it easy by doing it by their age. So making his debut is Robert Brian Wilson. He plays the 18-year-old version of Billy Chapman. Now, he was also part of the Santa Barbara television series from 1984 through 1991. Seems like that's a reoccurring television series we bring up a lot. 
He was also part of the television series Generations in 1990, and he was also more recently in the film The Wrong Roommate. Hmm. Danny Wagner, this is his only film appearance. He played the role of Billy at eight years old. And Jonathan Best, he played the role of Billy at five years old. Now, Jonathan's also been a part of The Legend of Wolf Mountain. He was also part of the animated stories from the New Testament and the Old Testament and a bunch of other Jesus stuff. Wow. But some of this happened back in the early 90s. So you might have seen or I should say heard his voice in some of those. And he was also in the film Just Like Dad. All right, the next actor I have is Alex Burton. He plays the role of Ricky Chapman at 14 years old. Max Broadhead plays the role of Ricky at four years old. And Melissa Best plays the role of infant Ricky. And this is their only film credit, I should mm-hmm. say. All right, the next role I have belongs to Tara Buckman. She plays the role of the mother, who is Ellie Chapman. Now, she's also been a part of the films Hooper. You might have seen her in the original, The Cannonball Run. She was also in Snowballing. You might have seen her in Extro Part 2, The Second Encounter. And she was also in the film Night Killer. Hooper's kind of a big deal. As yeah, far some as film big deals. actors in uh, that one. Burt Reynolds flick, but it's also it's a Hal Needham movie. I think it's his first movie. Nice. Hal Needham's better known as a stuntman. He's like a legendary stuntman. And so Hooper's stunts are fucking off the wall nice. because, at least for the time period, because the movie's done by a fucking stuntman. Yeah. And I think it was a really successful indie movie, too. Nice. Like, I don't think it was done with a studio, but I might be wrong at that. That's, still, that's pretty awesome. I didn't know that. All right. The next actor I have is Jeff Hansen. He plays the role of the father, Jim Chapman, in this film. He's also been in the films The Arrival. He was also in the film Just Like Tad. And I think more recently he was in the film entitled Snowman. Right. The next actress I have is Lillian Chauvin. She plays the role of Mother Superior. She's been in some really cool films. A few of them that I had listed is the Mephisto Waltz. You might have seen her in that. She was also in the film Private Benjamin. She was in the film Born in East L.A. Love that film. Born in that movie's East so good. L.A., man. She was in the films Predator Part Two. You might have seen her in Universal Soldier. She was in the sequel to Pumpkinhead, Pumpkinhead Part 2, Blood oh. Wings. And she was also in the film Catch Me If You Can. That's a good movie. It really is. Like I said, she's been in some really cool films. All right, next actress I have is Gilmer McCormick. She plays the role of Sister Margaret. The films that I have her in were in Slaughterhouse-Five and the film Godspell. I'm really glad that I don't go through life with the name Gilmer. <laughs> she's a Gilmer girl. <laughs> And that's the show. We're going home. (laughs) Thank you and good night. (laughs) All right. The next actor I have is Will Harry. He plays the role of Grandpa in this. He's been in some pretty cool stuff. He was in the film Heaven Can Wait. You might have also seen him in the films Tales of the Unexpected. And he was also in the film Back to the Future. I like Heaven Can Wait. Yeah, it's a good one, man. Mm -hmm. Warren Beatty. All right. Next actor I have is Charles Deercup. He plays the role of Killer Santa, or you could say he's the robber in this film. Now, he's been in some really interesting films. He goes back, and he was in the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, a film that was actually recommended to me by Justin, who's been on the show. Okay. A film entitled Messiah of Evil. Hmm. He was also a part of the film The Sting, the film Grotesque, and he had an uncredited role in the film Maverick. That's like a poker player. All right, the next actor I have is Brett Leach. He plays the role of Mr. Sims. He was the actor I mentioned that was in the film Going South. (laughs) 
Okay. He was also in The Last Starfighter. You might have seen him in Weird Science. He was in the film The Great Outdoors. And he had an uncredited role in Father of the Bride. All right, next actress I have is Tony Nero. She plays the role of Pamela. She was a part of the Knight Rider television series in 1984. She was in the film Known Dead Heroes and also the film Commando Squad. I got a few more actors in that Commando kind of... Squad, not Commando. No, Commando Squad. Okay. <laughs> All right. The next actor I have is H.E. Redford. He played the role of Captain Richards in some of the films that he was a part of. He was also in Hangar 18. You might have seen him in the film Footloose. He was also in Slaughter of the Innocents. All right. This is some really cool shit coming up. I've been saving these people for last for some big reasons. All right. So I'm going to lead off with Leo Getter. He plays the role of Tommy in this film. He was in such films as Footloose. You might have seen him in No Way Out. He was also in Near Dark. He was also in Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. And he played like what was described as like the Howard Stern in that film, like some kind of shock jock. Yeah. All right, the next guy I have is Randy Stumpf. He plays the role of Andy. He was in such films as Are You in the House Alone? In the film, Those Lips, Those Eyes. All right, now we've got a Scream Queen, a B movie oh, Scream time. Queen. And I, I'm surprised this is the first time we've actually talked about her. I know, I had to double check through her filmography to be like, how did we miss her? Considering she is like a legend in the horror genre. so And has been in a lot of I shit ton, which is awesome. But I am talking about Linnea Quigley. She plays the role of Denise, and all right, some of the early films, when I think about her, she was in Return of the Living Dead. She was also in one of my favorite films from the 80s, and that's Night of the Demons. She has a really infamous role and scene in that movie. You might have also seen her in such things as Tourist Trap. She was in two Cheech and Chong films. She was in Nice Dreams, which we talked about before, and she was also in the film Still Smokin'. A film that you actually mentioned to me, which I didn't know she she does some voice acting as well, but Where the Dead Go to Die, which is an unearthed. It's like, what the fuck? It's supposed to be pretty nasty, isn't it? Yeah, it's a pretty wild film. She was also in such things as Creepazoids. She was in films such as Sorority Babes and the Slime Ball, Bolorama. She was in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Like I said, if you look through her catalog, 80s, 90s, 2000s, it's amazing how many things she's been in. So if you don't know, you need to go check out some of her films. She's known for being topless in a lot of her films, too. So no surprise with this film as well. All right, next actor I have is Max Robinson. He plays the role of Officer Barnes in this film. The reason I bring him up is because he was also part of the Halloween series. He was in Halloween Part 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. He was also in Hangar 18 and the film Shadows in Fog. And last but not least, I do have another actor I needed to bring up for the same reasons, and that is Don Shanks. He plays the role of the Santa climbing in through the window. Oh, right. He actually gets Mm -hmm. uncredited, but he was also in Halloween Part 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. Do you want to know why? It's because he actually plays Michael Myers in that film. He was also in Dumb and Dumber. He was also in The World's Fastest Indian, and he's known for doing stunt works, actually, in a lot of those films as well. So just thought I'd bring him up because, you know, there's a couple people in a part of the Halloween franchise, which is really neat. And he was a part of Life and Times of Grizzly Adams. Yeah, he sure was. There's a lot of people that have similar connections in some of the films they've been in, so it's not a surprise. And Three Ninjas Knuckle Up. Yeah, (laughs) Knuckle Up. (laughs) Just had to point that out because I... 
Was Knuckle Up the sequel that went to the theater, or was you that asked the, the wrong person? Video? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's funny. But yeah, that pretty much rounds out the cast and the crew. I know you gave us a brief synopsis. We do have to give you several warnings in this one. So I actually got a little cheat sheet here. If you're not comfortable with sex and nudity, there is plenty of boobs in this film. There is violence and gore. There is profanity. There is some alcohol use. There are some pretty intense scenes that I was kind of surprised by. There's religious themes in this film, too. Oh, yeah. You know? So if you have an affront to that, perhaps this might turn you off a little bit. But, I mean, it's an 80s slasher film. When people say they don't like slashers, this is the movie they don't like in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? A lot of big bad ways, yeah. This touches on everything you think of when you think of 80s slasher. So I agree. That's what you're in for. That's what you should be warned about. Yeah, and you know, keep in mind too. You know, if you hold Santa sacred, you're probably going to hate this film. Right, but don't. But don't. It's a great film. Let's talk about it, Danny. How'd this make you squeal? How does that make you squeal? All right, Danny. How did this make you squeal? I already asked you that once. Now you've heard how did this make you squeal like three times in the last 10 seconds. you're checking me once, you're checking me twice. That's right, I'm checking you thrice, son. I like it, man. No, I squealed with delight because, A, I think I mentioned this to you before we recorded too, is like, I realized I don't think I've ever seen this film. I know I've never seen this film. Yeah, and I said, if I have, it was a long fucking time ago and I do not remember. But, dude, I'm excited that we are covering it for a lot of reasons. I take this back. I've never seen this film. This is a movie that I am 100% positive. We didn't have a blockbuster in my town, but every once in a while, when we'd come here to Missoula shopping, we wouldn't rent anything because it was too far to bring it back, but we would, in fact, like walk through like a blockbuster or something just to like see what it was like. <laughs> and I know that I've seen this in like a VHS oh, yeah. horror section. Yeah, I mean, the cover itself is pretty, you know, it's kind of iconic. It really is. It really is. Specifically because it's, you know, based around the holiday, Christmas, and iconic figure in Santa Claus, but with an axe going down the chimney. So even if you haven't seen the film, you're right, that cover alone is iconic. So this is going to sound like a slight against the movie, and I truly don't mean it to be. I mean this in the best way I possibly can because I did enjoy the movie, but I did kind of enjoy the fact that it is such an 80s slasher that i really didn't have to pay that close of attention to it if i didn't want to you know that's a very I did good point so that i could take notes right but... right right but it's not like one that's so complicated that you have to pay super close attention to detail no it's kind of stupid it's pretty but simple. in a good way <laughs> no no i know what you're saying they keep it simple yeah it's like if you and can't it... follow this man you know <laughs> all right so let's start into the movie itself so All right, so the first thing that I made note of before we even get into the film is that uh, this was actually known as Sleigh Ride through its entire production, and it was actually TriStar that renamed the film. And the way that they got the script and everything like that, this is actually pretty interesting, so this is a little bit of trivia. Yeah, yeah, give it to me. All right, so Scott Schneid, one of the producers, co-executive producer on this film, he was an alumni from Harvard, and he said he got into like the marketing end of the industry, and he didn't really like that. He okay. wanted to be more into the films, like production side, etc. 
And so what he would do is on occasion, he would get phone calls because he worked for, I think, Morris Agency. And a lot of Harvard grads or people who are still at Harvard would call him for advice about Hollywood and screenplays, etc. So Paul Kamey, the guy who actually wrote the story that this film is loosely based on, actually a one-sentence idea that he had in that script. Mm -hmm. So he called up Schneid and he said that he liked the story Schneid did. He said, but he said it was kind of like it wouldn't work for film. So he contacted, I think, Whiteside and Whiteside knew Hickey. And Hickey literally rewrote the entire script just based off that one idea of a killer Santa. Okay. And this is kind of cool. Is uh, The writer, Hickey, said that he didn't like slashers. He didn't really like horror films. He says, but he was really into Stanley Kubrick. And he said any like recent movie that Kubrick did, he was really following. And it just so happened to be The Shining. So is that why he uses the axe? Well, he said he borrowed a lot of ideas and concepts from The Shining. No, like, he didn't. I mean... <laughs> In, in a little bit of a sense, a little bit. I mean, okay, maybe he Very, did, very, very loosely. He even mentioned... I'm not going like, to say he's lying, but... No, no, he said some of the relationships and things that are told are very loosely based on some of the ideas. But anyhow, that's how like the entire story started was because a college kid was trying to get in the industry. And Barmack was pitched the idea by the two producers, and he's the one who knew... Get this. Yeah. Killer Santa. He knew the president of TriStar. And TriStar was kind of like a brand mm -hmm. new production company. They said it was the first one started since like the 1920s oh, in the shit. States. Okay. Yeah, which is saying a, you know, mm -hmm. a lot. But anyway, yeah, the working title, everybody knew it as Sleigh Ride. Hence the Sleigh Ride Productions Incorporated. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, so with that being said, getting into the film itself... I kind of like the idea of it giving you a backstory, and that's kind of what I was going to get at too with Hickey is because he didn't like horror films, he wanted to work backwards. He's like, I knew I had a killer, but you have to know why or what his motivation was. So he focused a good portion of his script writing, he said 80 pages worth, mm -hmm. on his backstory before you even get to the part where he's starting to kill. Of which you get... I don't know, at least 15 to 20 pages worth that actually made it to screen because this film basically has like a 15-minute cold open that's the origin of the killer before you actually deal with the killer. Because if it was just the story of the killer, like if you had just the slasher portion, first off, the movies would be like 50 minutes long. Oh, but, yeah, at best. But it would also be even more ridiculous than it currently is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. But I think that's what this film really has going for it is, especially during that time period, you know, there was a run of just, they basically said that ironically, of course. However, I now blame this guy for starting the trend of directors feeling like they need to explain why their slasher is doing what they're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a good point. He was actually this giving This is the reason we got Rob Zombie's Halloweens. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point if you want to look at it that way. I don't hate those movies, but... People understand what I'm getting at when I say that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, what I was going to say is a lot of slasher films were coming out at that time period, and it was like a dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. And the usual trope was the explanation came at the end. Like there was some kind of big reveal of, you it's know, why. His sister. And it's like, why not just tell it from the perspective of why, you know, all the events leading up to that point, kind of what this film did. But you're right. I think that kind of set that tone, maybe that trope instead is like, 
just tell the backstory. I mean, it gives you a, a good third of the film right there. This movie's a little bit slower moving than it feels like it would be for the fact that you don't actually get the slasher until you're already like a third of the way through yeah. the movie. And it's only like, what, like an hour 24 yeah, or something like that? 20 some change. All right. The R-rated version, I think, is like 83 minutes, and the uncut is 85. Right. So, you don't, you know, there's not much difference. Most of it's like added in gore and whatnot. So if you like that, then yeah, check out the uncut, which I did. I watched it twice. Because it's like, why watch a theatrical when I want to watch the same version with more gore? <laughs> so anyhow. But honestly, this movie probably could have been like 10 minutes shorter. And the opening with them just driving to see Grandpa is very, like, that shows that off in spades. They linger a lot, just for no reason. Oh, what this film really does is I actually, like, before you even get the introduction to the family, is that little kid singing, mm. because that sets up that song throughout the rest of the film. Because you get different versions of it throughout the yeah, movie. Yeah, you do. Which is funny, man, because... It's like the Scotty doesn't know. <laughs> it really is. What I thought is interesting about this is that they brought in the guy, Perry Botkin, who at the time was like doing a lot of pop, and he was trying to get out of it, right? Mm -hmm. He just became kind of bored with it. So this gave him a chance to actually work specifically on a film. But they also brought in Morgan Ames, another musician who wrote all these original songs, that being one of them. So it's funny that some of the, the songs in here... They're actually pretty catchy. I mean, I got to give them credit, but they're also like super cheesy, man. But that's why I kind of like this too, because it's like some of these songs, especially the montage scene that we get a little bit later on. <laughs> the first time through, I was like, oh man, I got to smoke some more weed because this shit is hilarious. <laughs> so but that's what I, I kind of find it charming movie, about this film. It's true. It's cheesy, but it feels so earnest. Yeah, really, exactly. I mean, granted it's shot in Utah, and we also mentioned that Cellier did a lot of family-friendly stuff prior to this. Mm -hmm. So he, That blows my mind. It really does. I mean, I can understand it because a part of the second unit of directors was the editor, Michael Spence, and he had a huge role in mm -hmm. this film because basically all the death scenes that we get in this film were shot by him because Cellier was not comfortable doing it. That's really funny. Yeah. So during that, they bring in Spence, and he would direct those sequences. Damn, that's really fucking funny. I mean, the deaths are pretty fucking cool. The movie was so charming to me in that, like, the gore effects were pretty fucking good. Yeah. But they would do these obvious cuts <laughs> to the fact that it was an effect shot. Sometimes the lighting wouldn't even match up. Yeah, like, sometimes the entire <laughs> film quality would change. Yeah, some of the interesting things about that, too. Did you watch the uncut version? I think I must have. Because there's some shots that you can tell are, if you watch like a, a Blu-ray version of it, and if you watch the uncut version, it'll go from that, like looking like you're watching it shot that was modern, to like, oh shit, we're watching like the VHS version of it. Yeah. And part of that is because... Uh, I had that happen, so it must have been the uncut. Yeah, I think you're right, because the but version the, I watched too was the uncut. But some of those gore shots, they would still have like total lighting change. Oh, and, like, yeah, you could tell. You could tell, like the effects were... Not bad, but not great. I mean, the effects were pretty damn good. The, no, like the I mean, but like the blood and but, stuff is what yeah. I'm getting at. I like all the practical things they did in this film, which was awesome. But yeah, I just, I like it, like the drive shots and all that shit. It, it feels family friendly, like what Charles would probably be known for. Mm -hmm. 
Now that I know that the dude liked The Shining, now I completely understand that opening drive with the family. Holy shit, he fucking stole that from The Shining. That son of a bitch, I see it now. Alright. And he said, another thing is, if you want to use that reference, The Shining, he says the scene where the family, you know, they're at the Utah mental facility visiting Grandpa... When Billy gets left alone with Grandpa... What did we come here for? <laughs> I mean, the kid's got a point throughout. But when they leave him with Grandpa, and, you know, of course, Grandpa comes to life, is how I wrote it out, is Hickey was saying that you can look at it like this. He says, much like The Shining when the Torrance family gets to the hotel and O'Halloran. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, he's the one who, like, is communicating with Danny... Mm-hmm. about the shine and what the hotel is all about he's kind of setting up the rest of the film okay that's a bit more of a stretch yeah that's what i'm getting at he says but it's very loose right mm-hmm. because grandpa's laying the foundation for the rest of the film kind of like dick or halloran is laying the foundation of the hotel to danny all right but that's I... about as far as you can go with that right apparently grandpa knows about robot <laughs> santa he knows not to be out on Christmas Eve because you're going to get killed by Santa. That reads as Robot Santa from Futurama to me. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. He also has an amazing poker face. Dude, they setting this kid up and then he drops the bomb on the kid. I was like, yes, this is awesome. But ultimately, this scene left me with one question. What's a better way of making kids behave? Elf on a shelf or demented grandpa? Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think you need a grandpa <laughs> with this, this Everyone sense of needs humor. to get a grandpa in their life. <laughs> yeah, it kind of fits that, you know, the trope of the kid who goes sees his grandpa and he's scared to death. Well, in this case, grandpa lives that out. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was good, man. I like the story, the way he tells it to him. But the kid himself looks like the most innocent kid because once the parents walk back in, the kid's, mm-hmm. you know, he's chill for a moment. And then he's like, I won't be naughty anymore. And you see him run off. I was like, damn, you cute little bastard. (laughs) But then it sets up the whole next thing is the mom, you know, talking about grandpa. And then he's telling mom, he's like, you shouldn't have said that. That's naughty talking about old people. Which, when did such a specific (laughs) rule come about? Talking about old people's naughty. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's some 80s stuff for you, I suppose. Then you get the run-in with the Santa, Mm -hmm. which is the first instance of pointless 80s boobs. Yeah. Even before that, just the the killing, too, like at the convenience store. Mm Mm-hmm. I was like, man, that was actually pretty decent. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. The popping was pretty I was like, whoa, I'm surprised they showed the headshot, which is, wow, that's... For that time period, that's pretty graphic. I almost forgot about that. Yeah, but you're right. Then the family rides up on Santa, who's broken down in his sleigh. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he pulls out a gun... Dad gets shot in the forehead. I'm like, damn, that's fucked up. But you're right. Mom gets sexually assaulted. But it was weird because it didn't, it truly didn't look like he was planning on like raping her or anything. No, He's no, like, no. let me see them titties. <laughs> now I'm going to slice that throat. Basically, it's because, but you know, she got, she titties. slapped. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is fucked up. The one thing about this film that you can say is that you don't have to worry about ever seeing boobs in this film because you're going to get to see a lot of them. The boobs are coming. That's right. It's like, that is so 80s. <laughs> Which is funny because the guy was doing Jesus films and stuff. So in a movie that gives us enough backstory that we get 
two child versions of the main character. Yeah. I'm still left curious with what ended up happening with that Santa in the beginning. That is a very good point, man, because it's never explained. It's We don't know. That moment or that thought did cross my mind because I was like, man, that's kind of, it's odd. I mean, I kind of like it too. It's a little chaotic. I'll give the kid credit because Grandpa did tell him, he's like, if you see Santa, you run like hell. <laughs> and that's what, that kid dipped out. And I was like, oh, shit. That kid was like, he was on point. He, he got the fuck out of that car <laughs> and ran. But um, he witnessed something brutal. I wasn't expecting them to go quite that route. I mean, I'm glad they did. It kind of made it feel a little bit more grindhouse, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more exploitative. He got all dextered. Yeah, dude, he did. That's that's exactly what happened. And the music that they decide to play is like Sweet Baby while the baby's crying and there's chaos going on. And then it cuts to the kids now at the orphanage. That's the only reason why I have to ask is like, that's all weird what happened with that. Yeah, three years pass and you don't know what happens. And the kid, I mean, he ran like hell, but he only ran so far away. Right, just to the other side of the road, essentially. And then Ricky was still in the car. Yeah. And then we just cut to them in the orphanage. Exactly. So there's a lot of shit that happened in in those three years Yeah, that we didn't get to see. I'm just wondering, like, there's a lot of shit that happened that night. You know what I mean? No kidding, man. Like, who found them? What happened? What happened to the the And I understand maybe not giving that much backstory, considering I was bashing on this a little bit for (laughs) giving backstory in the first place. But no, I mean, it it opens it up to interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, the what ifs. Like, what, what the fuck happened? But it still makes sense. It's giving this kid backstory. But he's at the orphanage. He draws that fucked up picture. But it makes sense because of his backstory. Like, he's scared to death of Santa. So this is him acting as, like, fuck you, Santa. (laughs) Fuck you, reindeer. (laughs) You get some, too. (laughs) And then he's getting a job. Yeah. Nuns are like, we got to put Hunky McHunk to work. (laughs) He does get to see a little bit of action. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, shit. That's right. It is important to the story because what he associates that deed with is punishment, and punishment because of the superior's methods is necessary and good. What if the couple would have been into the beating from the nun? There has been some YouTube videos I've listened to that have made that point as well. It's like it's not like they were doing the devil's triangle, but Mother Superior was in there. I mean, they might have been into that kind of shit. You never know. <laughs> but then just a little <laughs> bit after that scene, every once in a while in the orphanage scenes, we end up hearing Mother Superior talk quite a bit throughout the movie we do i feel like there's a couple like little good points she makes but she's pretty fucking shitty yeah and i want to point out that like all right i get it time period like 1984 and shit but i still want to think that somebody should think about the fact that punishing a kid over a ptsd freak out is a pretty shitty thing to do i know right <laughs> that is pretty shitty and the fact too that she's ignoring Sister Margaret, who mm-hmm. she's... People have made the claim that you can look at her as, like, the Dr. Loomis character. Oh, okay. To the Michael Myers, yeah, yeah. etc. But she just recognizes... good at it. No, no. She just recognizes the fact that the kid has a traumatic past. He's expressing it. No wonder why he acts out specifically this time of year. They laid the foundation for that. It makes sense, right? <laughs> and it's funny how Mother Superior is kind of like... She's like, trust me, my methods are going to work. He'll be fine after Christmas. It's like, he's always fine after Christmas. It's like, 
we got to break this habit now before mm-hmm. Christmas. So he does knock the fuck out of Santa Claus. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I was like, well, I mean, you can't force the kid into his lap of his of his enemy, his like right the most fear thing he has on this planet is <laughs> Santa. Do you for think obvious that reasons. inspired? The Easter Bunny getting knocked the fuck out in <laughs> We need to ask Kevin about that. I mean, it's funny because that's an argument made. Is like, you know, if you can't hold Santa sacred, who's next? You know, the Easter Bunny, you name it. Yeah, let's fucking on punch on Easter Bunny on. in the face. <laughs> this punch bread. Santa in the face. <laughs> fuck this noise. So that's what I'm getting at. I was like, man, this film does some shit that I don't expect. To me, that's kind of endearing because it is kind of earnest I mean, that's something mm-hmm. that would make sense. It's practical. It's not far-fetched, you know? So, oh, man. I mean, deck the shit out of Santa. <laughs> I'm sure there are actually way more people out there than there should be that probably have a fear of Santa for whatever reasons, especially because <laughs> it seems like that's probably, as fucked up as it is, that like that's probably one of the more perfect disguises if you're wanting to do fucked up shit to kids. Very true. Very true. So I don't want to discount anybody's experience out there because I have a feeling there's probably more people out there with like a fucked up view of Santa than I probably realize. But with how pervasive Santa is in the culture, the fact that this kid is triggered by fucking Santa is almost fucking absurdly hilarious through the rest of the movie. (laughs) I mean, it really is. (laughs) Considering the fact, yeah. Just thinking about how insane that existence would be once you got around the holidays. Jesus. I know, man. Like I said, I'm sure there's people that have fucked up things about Santa, and I'm not trying to discount your experience. No, 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 no. I know what you're saying, but this is like one of those very rare extreme measures Mm -hmm. of that, and it's super valid. (laughs) You know? It's because of the concept of, like you said, using a disguise to do some nefarious shit, like the robber did. Like, you know... I'm sure there's some Santas out there that have been naughty themselves. That's what I'm getting at. You can't just be putting dudes in Santa outfits, having kids sit in laps. That's kind of weird, man. Somebody's a very bad Santa from fucking Happy. See? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. To me, now as an adult, I mean, I I understand the idea of, of a kid's imagination and, you know, believing in certain ideas and concepts. I understand that, right? But there comes a point, too, where it's like you also have to think this through a little bit. (laughs) It's like it's cool to buy into like a certain idea. But like I said, to put dudes in Santa Claus outfits and have a bunch of kids who either get the concept or don't. And a lot of times kids are scared to death and (laughs) it's in outfits. That's what I'm getting. It's like there's some that's some creepy shit, man. So is it just me or did fucking... 18-year-old Billy, what's it? What's his name, Wilson? It's Robert Brian Wilson. Brian, yeah, Robert Brian Wilson. Did he look a bit like MPG, Mark Paul Gassler? I'll, I'll lean a little bit, yeah. I mean, he had the 80s thing going. He was a clean-cut guy. I was like, I kind of see some Mark Paul there's, Gassler in there's there. Some, there's some Zach in there. There's a little bit of Zach. Is he about to get saved by the bell? All right, after we get That's out... That's all right. I do want to mention one more thing about... the Was it 19... It was 74, three, so it was like 74 when the kid was at the orphanage? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mother Superior ties him to the bed, too. That's like, that's kind of oh, weird. Yeah. That's kind of kinky. <laughs> but it's also fucked up, too, because the kid was having nightmares about his parents, mm-hmm. you know? And all he did was run out of his room, 
got as far as like the stairs and that was it he got tied up but in my mind too he had a bunk mate the kid that was sleeping above him that kid didn't say shit like if i'm trying to sleep and that kid's whining like he is like i get it dude but i'm trying to sleep too man come on we'll get through this but also like if i'm in an orphanage that's fucked up. Like, if that's my living, and, like, you're basically my only family, as soon as Mother Superior's Damn. out the door, like, I'm untying your ass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, dude, we gotta get some sleep. We'll get through this. Come on, let's cuddle. I know, right? Let me, let me cuddle you to sleep. Let's, <laughs> let's just go to bed, buddy. Let's just go to bed. Yeah, but once we do get the cue, it's the 1984, the 18-year-old Billy. And I, I do like the setup. Sister Margaret gets him the job, right? Mr. Sims is like, no, I'm looking for... A man. And he walks in like, I'm your hey. man. He doesn't say anything, but he's like, you start on Monday. <laughs> right? And then it cuts to that montage. And that is the most over the top. But I was like, I loved every minute of it because it's so ridiculous. I was like, oh, man, I used to have to stock a whole lot of toys when I worked at Kmart. Ah, that felt like a kind I of have a... moved these. I have moved some of these almost exact boxes. It felt like a commercial. A for bit. a toy store or for a you know department store i'm like i feel you billy but it don't, is don't it's, live it's, that box like that it's billy. endearing it, yeah <laughs> it's endearing it's charming you kind of get the sense that he's trying to live a normal Quit life lifting with your back billy <laughs> 90 degree angles when you lift <laughs> snap that shit but he even does like i don't drink i only drink milk right? <laughs> but that damn song man warm side of the door they were mm. playing i was like this song is so ridiculous right now but I get it, you know. Long story short, once you get past that montage, it starts to go fucky when Mr. Sims unrolls that banner with the Merry Christmas and the Santa on it. And that's what I put kind of like the that's start what I'm saying. That shit of the is end. all over the place. Right? It is. It's like it's that time of year. It's like slowly turning up the dial. This is the beginning stages. And then once we learn that that employee broke his ankles ice skating, Mr. Sims backs out of the idea of being Santa. And he's like, hey, as uh, Andy, which is funny because I think his name is Randy, so he plays Andy in this film. I'm like, whatever. But he's giving Billy shit, you know, for like Mm -hmm. being flaky and spacey and all that shit. And he's basically telling him, fuck fuck work. He's got bigger ideas running through his head. But anyway, he pitches him the idea that, you know, hey, would you like to play Santa? Oh, I, I wanted to mention one thing before this because <laughs> yeah, some, yeah, yeah. some of Billy's bigger ideas going through his head is him fantasizing Fuck about getting with Pam. that chick. And I'm like, Billy is such a tender lover. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you see the version that showed all the gooch hair? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. I had VHS looking cuts and other things, but I didn't see any gooch hair. <laughs> so during his fantasy about he and uh, Pam, mm-hmm. <laughs> man, in the version I have, it starts with their legs. And he's got some pretty hairy legs. I mean, I do too, but it starts to pan up. And in my version, you can see gooch hair. And it's like, oh, shit. Maybe <laughs> that I dude had some butt hair, maybe dude. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention, man. I know. It's like, normally, trust me, normally I wouldn't. But the I way they're, it's, they're panning up. I remember it starting at the legs. And I just. <laughs> gooch hair. I think I just started, like, pulling my dick out at that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Rub them boobies, boy. <laughs> Oh, uh, this? Okay. <laughs> but it's funny because, you know, I've heard or seen people point out that, you know, it's like the go-to move is just to cup the boob, mm-hmm. you know, and just give him some smooches and kind of embrace. 
it's it's very artful. This film, when it does those sequences, does feel a little bit more on the the artsy side. I have to admit. <laughs> well, it's very tender. It's like yeah, that's what I'm getting at. They're not really grasping no, each other. No. They're kind of laying Caressing. their arms on each other a little bit and laying beside each other and. There's no sense of them actually, like, wanting each other. They're just doing this. Yeah, I know. It's like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> We're naked. Okay, cool. But they're, but not, but it's not like they're just doing this in the sense, like, there's no chemistry. It's like, right, right. no, it's... like, this is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> We're artists. <laughs> I am going to make beautiful love to you. I know, right? It's like... None right. of that thrusty stuff. Let me just lay against you. <laughs> Basically, very soft, like you were saying. Yet once Billy gets into the suit, another thing I do like is the encounter he has with the little girl. Billy's that the is best awesome. Santa. Billy knows how to keep those kids. <laughs> Straight to the point, he's like, stop. What are you doing? You're being naughty. You know what I do to naughty boys and girls? I punish them. And then he tells her, severely... <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, a Santa threatening a kid isn't supposed he, to be that funny, but his fucking did delivery. It. That's what I'm saying. That, the tone, the cadence, it was perfect because the parents are watching and they're like, oh, he's really good with the kids. That girl is fucking terrifying. <laughs> but he gets her to stop acting out. And I was like, that's actually perfect. I was almost... Best department store Santa. I was halfway... Toy store Santa. Yeah, no, perfect. Perfect for the role. But I was thinking, half of me wanted there to be the girl peed on his lap <laughs> because he scared her so bad. But then it's like, I didn't really want to see pee either. Yeah. But it would make sense either way. But trip, trip, trip. Right. This leads into the party and what really kicks off this film. I'm sitting there like, man, I want to get drunk at work after we get done with a shift at the holidays. Mr. Sims is like, it's He's seven. on it. Boom. Bottles out, bitches. Time to get shit faced. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Yeah, and starts the drinking. Pam and Rico Suave go to the back. He's got what I wrote down as the OG dick in the box move. Dick in the box. He's like, I got something to show you over here. No, over here. Yeah, over here. It's in a box. They can't see. Over there. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this leads to arguably one of the most awkward moments, aside from the mother moment in the beginning of the film. Where it goes from, you know, them drinking and <laughs> Billy kind of spacing out again, thinking about his parents, because Mr. Sims is like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, think about my parents. He's like, oh, that's great. He's like, you know. A kid should to think about their parents on the holidays. Yeah. Like, they're dead. They're dead. Oh, oh shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> but he does it so well, right? And it's like, that's really good. And he's like, oh, that's fucked up. All right, anyway. He wanders off Billy. He goes to the back room. Yeah, that triggers a moment when he's seeing... Andy ripping boobs out again, right? Yeah, he's like, fucking going for it. I know. He's like, whew, he's getting he's getting his present, whether she gets hurt. Well, they're both, I suppose. But, yeah, I was like, man, that's fucked up. That's rapey mm-hmm. as fuck. But it triggers that moment in Billy. And, yeah, he herks out. He Herculeses out on his Holy ass. Holy shit. I, yeah, he strings him up with fucking Hulk. Christmas lights. <laughs> Full hulked out. Jesus. That was crazy. She gets all crazy about it. What the fuck? It. I mean, I, I, I mean, granted, she saw him murder him, yeah. right? But So I, yeah, I get it, but I don't get it. But I get it. No, no, exactly. It's like, that's terrifying because, I, yeah, I do get it, right? Because she, she's traumatized, man. She almost got raped. 
But then it's like, well, he did save you from getting raped too. It's like in, in the most fucked up way. Well, not most fucked up way, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, he was doing what he could do. He just snapped. But then she was naughty because that idea was planted by Mother Superior all the way back when he watched the couple having sex. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, all he knows is punishment is good and necessary. Pam's got to get punished. It's necessary, Pam. Pam gets punished. <laughs> That's what he tells her. Mm-hmm. She gets gutted. It's like, it was good. It was cool. I like it. But then, yeah, it starts off the whole killing spree. Mr. Sims gets the claw hammer to the head. That was pretty good. That was really good. I even like the chase scene he has with Mrs. Randall throughout. She kind of mm-hmm. sets him up. Mm-hmm. It's like, nah, bitch, you didn't know I could shoot arrows. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty sweet. Fuck, yeah. He's a really good killer. <laughs> he is. I mean, he hits her with the poem, right? Mm-hmm. All through the house. Not a creature is stirring. Like, he does that whole thing. I was like, that's, you know, it's cliche, but it's good. Gets her. And that's just right as Sister Margaret comes, because she learns that he was dressed as Santa. She knew that was going to trigger something. Yeah. Well, of course, that's the worst possible thing you could do to this guy. That's like, yeah, I mean, the movie sets at this a up toy as the store, eventually thing. you're going to hit those holidays, man. Christmas is a big one. It's a big seller, dude. I do have to point out, that toy store was pretty banging for the 80s. Yeah. But the one thing that triggered me <laughs> was seeing those old damn Halloween costumes on the wall. Mm. I was like, yeah, those are awesome. They'd be nice to have. But I remember also wearing them shits. <laughs> and those masks suck dicks, man. I'm not going to lie. They <laughs> suck so bad. <laughs> so you would sweat and those things cut your face up. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, it was cool because you were dressed as those characters. But not fucked up. But you were putting in the work. <laughs> you were earning that candy. I promise that. <laughs> All right, so moving forward, right? right? He's out of the store. That's where the random killings start. And it starts with the over-the-top carolers outside, that one dick especially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was really into caroling. But that's where you get Linnea Quigley and the dude I was saying that played in, uh, I think it was Halloween Part 6. Right. Uh, they're down in the, the basement on the pool table making out, getting hot and heavy. They hear the jingle, or at least she does. She thinks it's the cat. Of course, she goes upstairs naked. That's when uh, Billy breaks in. And he starts his catchphrase, apparently. Punish. <laughs> this is one of those ones where I know it's a little bit nitpicky for this particular genre, being a slasher. Because you could probably bring this up in just about every single fucking slasher movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you totally fucking hear what's going on upstairs if you're homeboy downstairs. Oh, dude, yeah. It's like, I don't care that the music he was listening to and shooting pool. You're not that. You're not that you're far removed. You're that. I know, you're not that far removed. It's not like a, a complete story above you. It's like just a few stairs, bro. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, so she just, probably has... I had has, to write it down. Like, yeah, especially when he busted the door like that. That door, first off, was weak as fuck. <laughs> but when he does get a hold of Denise, Delinia, that's like probably the most iconic kill in the movie and maybe one of the more on the nose, too, because they're using a deer... Nice rack. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty neat. She talked a little bit, like, behind the scenes, how they set all that stuff up and whatnot. And pretty interesting. I honestly like him getting killed more than her. Oh, yeah, when he gets thrown out the window. Because of the shot afterwards. Glass and that shards. glass through him is fucking gnarly. It looks okay. good. Yeah. It's a little akin to Suspiria, a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little bit. But I liked it, too. After they get killed... Then we get the scene with the two kids, teenagers, sledding, 
And the one kid, I'm like, all right, I get it. He's trying to be funny. He's trying to set up these Wait, jokes. I want to point out, and we're going to jump ahead for a second. Because, yeah, yeah, like, fine. the movie ends <laughs> up being like, oh, now Ricky's fucked up. Mm-hmm. You know who else is fucked up? That little girl she was babysitting. Yeah, for reals. She's going to find that shit. After she was given the bloody oh, knife. Oh, yeah, you're right. Damn. <laughs> because she comes out. And he's, he asks her bluntly if she's been naughty or nice all year, and she's mm-hmm. been good, you know? He presents her that damn box cutter that he used on Pam. I was like, well, you know, he did give her a gift. <laughs> he stuck true to his word. But as he's leaving the house, oh. we hear her calling for fucking Linnea <laughs> Yeah, that's fucked up. We're like, oh, damn, that's fucked up. I kind of do like this next scene, the bobsledding scene. Like, the one kid, man, he keeps trying to tell these jokes I'm like, man, he's being a dick, too, on top of it. It's like, this is Virgin the Snow. Mm-hmm. It's the only virgin you'll ever see. I was I was about to ask you that shit. Have you or have you ever heard anyone refer to fresh snow as virgin snow? Virgin snow. Maybe, maybe ironically, of course, but, man, I I can't say not any time recently. Nope. And I live, like... Oh, yeah, like, we get snow all the time, here. dude. I know a bunch of people that, like ski snowboard that love it when there's fresh snow yeah i ain't never heard anybody say "Ooh, that virgin snow (laughs) yeah can't wait to get my dick on that virgin snow bro (laughs) oh man but i mean i get it i used to do some pretty hardcore sledding back in the day hell yeah no i mean legit like my dad had this friend that lived like three miles outside of town and the first big snow of the season, he would call us up. I feel like one time we got to get excused from school. Maybe not. Because we did this a couple of years in a row. And he had this great hill about a quarter mile from his house that was about a quarter mile run all of its own. Yeah. And we would spend yeah. all night long literally working on this for 10, 12 hours straight packing it down and just smoothing it out as best we could and by the time we had it all nice and smoothed down as you were getting down towards the bottom of the run you were getting going so fast that we were having to build like three and a half four foot high berms wow. to keep you in the track so you wouldn't be flying out <laughs> so you wouldn't go fucking Whew. flying out and shit a lot of speed yeah and then like a couple of days later after we had fucking gotten a little bit of sleep because we had just fucking stayed up all night yeah, working on kidding, it. Right? Usually, you know, whatever the next weekend was, like if we did that on like a Thursday night or whatever, then like Saturday night, we'd throw a fucking bonfire party oh, nice. and have a bonfire up at the top of that bitch, a bonfire at the bottom of that, and we'll another bonfire it. halfway between his house and the place. Nice. And just had like fucking 10, 15 families out there with all their kids and shit. Yeah. Well, I can say this growing up in South Carolina. There was a few rare winters that we had, you know, some good snow where you could sled. Mm-hmm. His daughter yeah. did go over one of those berms and get a concussion on that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. There was a one winter in South Carolina where it snowed really well, like the early 90s. And, uh, yeah, my uncle and I used some Formica to ride. So we were improvising because we didn't have, I mean, you don't really have sleds in South Carolina, right? So we were improvising. We used that to slide down hills, and we slid down one that led down to a lake. So I remember that one. It was We had some virgin snow. <laughs> so it was fun, man. It was like one of those memorable things, and it is a lot of fun. The sky is like super white, especially, mm-hmm. you know, because it's snowing. 
light is ambient light but anyway it's fun yeah like you kind of see this kill coming from a mile away and it still but it's was fucking good. dope i think the thing that really sells that scene more than anything is the kid's reaction to seeing his friend's decapitated head and body slide down the hill because mm-hmm. the kid like that's a genuine like horror scream like that kid was terrified i mean it was over the top but it was good mm-hmm. they're closing in on him there's the fake out right is that what's next with the Santa and the fucking window? Yeah, the cops roll up on uh, seeing the Santa climb through the window. Yeah, and it's, his dad was like trying to play Santa to his daughter. <laughs> and the cops is like fully loaded. No knocks, just running through the fucking house. Like, damn, 1980s. <laughs> what the fuck? But then Sister That's Michael Mar- Myers, yeah. though. Then Sister Margaret's like, well, then he's heading to the orphanage. Yeah, I mean, she learns about the deaths, mm-hmm. and it's like the only next logical thing is, yeah, you're right, heading back to the uh, orphanage. That's where we get, to me, one of the most <laughs> fucked up kills. <laughs> Probably the most fucked up. Well, I'll say that. You could argue that, but this is a fucked up kill. Because uh, Santa's coming up on a kid. <laughs> the kid is, it's his brother, Ricky. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit, it was Ricky. Wasn't yeah, it? it certainly was. That's, all right, that's fucked up to begin with. So we know I, I legit didn't even notice yeah. it was Ricky, which makes this even It makes it like a lot more fucked up when you think about it. The fucked up thing is Ricky's still at the orphanage, right? So mm-hmm. there's your backstory, our backstory, his backstory. But you're right. There's a Santa walking towards the kids, and they've already put an APB out to look for a guy dressed as Santa going to the orphanage. <laughs> he does the most fucked up thing. He just yells at him to stop and then pops him in the back. Like three times. Yeah, fucks him up. Right in front of, right in front of every the kid in the orphanage. It's like, man, these kids, <laughs> that holiday is going to be forever ruined at the orphanage. All these kids are <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah. We're only getting to see it from, like, literally two kids' perspectives. Billy's and his brother's, for the <laughs> most part. But then it gets better. Oh, yes, it does. Because you find out who it was. Oh, it's the most fucked up thing. So... They get the news that Santa's been shot. Sister Margaret, of course, she's sad because she thinks it's Billy. But there's a mistake. It's a 50-year-old, not an 18-year-old. And like, what do you mean? And Sister Margaret says, like, oh, no, Father O'Brien. He was supposed to play Santa this year. She's like, I yelled at him to stop. He's like, oh, no, that's why he didn't stop, because he's he's deaf. He's deaf. Like, what the fuck? How's he supposed to hear the kid's wishes? I know. (laughs) Oh, my God. You gotta write that shit down. (laughs) Write it down. (laughs) It's so fucked up, man. Yeah, dude shoots deaf Santa. Father Father O'Brien. Jesus Christ, right? Right in front of all the kids. He goes he goes inside the orphanage. Officer Barnes, that is. And Mother Superior, of course, is like, you know, you just shot Father and O'Brien and killed him. He's like, My bad. (laughs) My bad. I didn't know. (laughs) <laughs> he's like but what i can do is give you complimentary patrol services around the perimeter <laughs> as a consolation she's like all you've been doing is making things bad here you know basically like you need to get the fuck out of here dude yeah <laughs> right so he goes searching around he goes into what i thought at first was a bomb shelter but it's actually like an old heating unit spot oh, okay so that's all it is just like a heating room i didn't know what the fuck that was supposed to be i, I was I like nun's really. got a torture room <laughs> Makes sense, yeah. Oh, gotcha. They got their own conjuring. Penguins <laughs> got shit to do. I understand. That's true, man. But yeah, he fucks up. Billy gets him at the top of the stairs. Punish. Oh, that was pretty good too. That was good. 
I like the last All of it's shot good, man. of him showing the body down at the bottom and shit. Yeah, that he good. he hits the snowman with the axe. That was funny. Yeah, the little kid lets him in, which is like, oh shit, here we go. And uh, Mother Superior, I mean, she's granted she's trying to get those kids out of the state of mind that they mm-hmm. just saw Santa Claus get shot, and so she's got them singing, you know, Christmas songs too. But once Billy's in and he's about to hit her, he goes to that slow mo cam. He gets shot in the back. <laughs> His famous last words, do you remember what they were? I could paraphrase them, but I don't remember exactly it's, what they I are. I can't remember we verbatim either, but it's, it's essentially like this. It's okay. Santa Claus is gone. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and, and what he's essentially trying to do is reassure the kids that you know Santa Claus is no longer a threat. <laughs> but, I mean, it's fucked up. It's kind of poetic in a way. You know, his biggest fear, he lived out. But there was also him still in there, too. Mm-hmm. You know, the good side of him that didn't want to do naughty things. You know, he reached his breaking point, man. <laughs> That's the most Mother fucked Superior up way of doing help. it. No, what a bitch. Like, <laughs> he's like holding on to her and she's just like, get the fuck off of me. <laughs> and then Ricky. The axe is laying. I mean, it's symbolic, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Ricky just looks at her and he's like, naughty. naughty. I'm like, Yes, because... Get her ass. Spoiler, there's five of these films. (laughs) (laughs) Right? One of them actually has Clint Howard in it, part four. Oh, shit. I think the last two are part of canon. What you're telling me is we have Christmas movies for the next few years. If we want them, they're there, right? (laughs) So it spawns the sequels, and spoiler alert, it's going to focus on Ricky, is what it's setting it up, his kid brother. Okay. So, end I'm of film. You right now, make another sequel where the little girl from the house just hasn't been able to come to terms with her trauma. <laughs> oh. And now she's all grown and looking to fucking kill her. Uh, this, uh, when you said Dexter, I was like, this movie is basically what Dexter copied. If it copied anything, Jeff Lindsay, this <laughs> <laughs> the writer of Dexter, it was this film. But it does set up those things like that too is like we get these gaps where we don't know what happened you know i mean of course and i understand why we have them yeah i mean it, of i'm course, not saying for pacing it doesn't really take shit. away from the movie to be honest but I there's just... things you can explore is kind of what i'm getting mm-hmm. at you know which is cool you can play around with things but i was like man this is actually a pretty decent film the score like the part where botkin where he's interjecting his music where it's not the the songs you know the christmas songs that is it's like, it's good. It lends its hands to the creepy moments. It kind of, you know, it follows that pace. It hits right with the synthesizer and whatnot. And then the Christmas songs are pretty wild. I like them. I was like, these are fucking cheesy as shit. But they're kind of catchy, too. Like, the lyrics are kind of fucked up about Santa. <laughs> yeah, they are. He's like, Santa's creeping. I'm like, yeah, he is. <laughs> are you sleeping? Are you nodding? Are you sleeping? Yeah. Santa's creeping. Yeah, I'm like, damn, that's, it's good. It's fucked up. But... Santa's skating. <laughs> yeah, dude, this was a fun film. Like, for a slasher 1980s, a lot of fun. No one thing we really haven't mentioned, which is huge, and this is what lends its hand to being a cult film, too, is its notoriety, uh, 1980s, yeah, yeah. right? When it came out, leading up to its release, I was reading about this, you know, TriStar were buying up ad space for commercials and shit in between shows, and they were showing them in between things like Three's Company and Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> like this. I'm like, no jokes, right? In between football games on Sundays as well. 
you know, so they were bold showing these, right? And so it caused an uproar with parents because their kids were seeing the ads. And granted, the trailer for it, you don't see Billy. You only see mm-hmm. Santa, you know? <laughs> and so they were up in arms, man. So there was this huge protest. The film came out the same weekend as A Nightmare on Elm Street. Okay. Now, it opened up in more theaters, but it also grossed more than it did over its opening weekend, right? So over that opening weekend, like, people were picketing. Eventually, the newspapers around the country were writing about it. Like, they got super negative press because people were like, you know, Santa Claus is sacred. You can't show him, like, killing people and yada yada. Oh, it's like, what, what are the kids going to think? You know, you're ruining a Christmas for the kids, Here's a fucked up thing. TriStar. I hate people sometimes. TriStar was owned by Columbia Pictures, and they were a subsidiary of the Coca-Cola company. And Coca-Cola is huge with the Santa Claus marketing shit. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to think about that too, which is, it says a lot, right? Mm -hmm. So here's another fucked up thing. (laughs) Siskel and Ebert. What do you think they thought about this film? Because I can tell you, (laughs) it is fucked up. Didn't... Gene Siskel hate it so much that he doxed one of the producers. No, he doxed everybody. The producers, the writer, the director, the editor. Yeah, like everybody, even the companies. Columbia, CBS, HBO, Coca-Cola. Yeah, so they pulled the film like the next weekend. I think it had a two-week run. Had Gene Siskel ever seen a Grindhouse movie? I know. Well, what was funny is I think it was one of the producers said... It might have been even like, I can't remember, maybe the editor, but he said he felt like Siskel and Ebert kind of had it out for Cellier because of some of his other films. Jesus Walks. He said like Hangar 18 and yeah, like some of those things. They just didn't like his films because they argue the fact, and this makes sense, is prior to this film, there was a 1980 or 81 film. Yeah, Christmas Evil that is all about Santa killing. And even before that, there's a segment in Tales from the Crypt, the movie. It's about Santa invading a home, home invasion, kills the mom in front of the kid and shit. Isn't like the difference between this and Christmas Evil, basically Christmas Evil didn't use Santa in the marketing? Yeah, and that's that's the thing, is is this film was heavily reliant on using Santa as a figure, (laughs) you know, for this film. I was like, that wasn't the smartest idea, granted, but in light of it getting all this controversy... It also sparked that like interest, like, man, this is a film that people want to get banned. What the fuck's the big deal, right? So that's why like the VHS era was huge for this film, because that's where it really took off and grew that cult status. And it was odd for all the films yeah, that were coming out. <laughs> this was the one that sparked all that controversy. And it's not, I mean, I get it, but also it's kind of making a comment too. It's like, you know, you're commercializing the idea of Santa Claus is what you're doing. Mm-hmm. that's the sacred part it's like there's krampus and other folk tales that come long before this version of, of santa claus you know no what i want getting at is the whole controversy it's funny in a sense it's like i get it but once you start trying to it, censor it. yeah once you try to censor things and get things banned and pulled and shit like that you know eventually the idea is is like once you start doing that the things that you like once they start getting picked on you know or getting pulled banned whatever it's like you don't have a leg to stand on because you kind of allowed this kind of censorship in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't like it, you don't have to go see it. You don't have to let your kids see it either. It's just unfortunate that they were running those ads during that time period. You know, but and in a clever way, it worked out too. And I mean, 
with what you were pointing out with its cult status is that even though the numbers that you brought up at the beginning of the episode yeah. indicated that it made some money, it has to recoup its marketing. And its marketing, they didn't even get full fucking value of because they were having adverts and shit pulled. Yeah, they ha- they said they pulled, I think, the, the ads like six days prior to its release. So sometime in early November, like right after Halloween, essentially. So its box office made back its budget, but there's no way it recouped all that No, box I wouldn't imagine so. I like said it, its expenses. It ended with like $2.5 million at the box office. And I, I couldn't tell you like through rentals and you know DVD, Blu-ray sales. That's where it was kept alive. That's yeah. why we know what it is today. Yeah, and no kidding, man. And, you know, shout out to Shout Factory, no puns, mm-hmm. but I did get a copy of it. And it's cool because, you know, with those interviews that they had with the producers and the writer, it's neat to, to see, like, what they were kind of going through. It's like, it's just a fucking slasher film, man. What's the big deal? You know, if you don't know the workings... <laughs> Of filmmaking. Apparently, if a slasher is Santa, it's a giant fucking deal. Yeah, I know, right? But it's funny because it also is like, well, what's next? Easter Bunny's like, yeah, well, yeah, yes, you got it. There's what else are we gonna have? Like turkeys, like yes, we got those too. <laughs> yeah, it's like because they're talking about the holidays. Like, is no holiday sacred? It's like not really because you know you're the ones who ripped them off in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But point being is uh, the thing that I find it, like I said fun and interesting is when these films have a cult following because it got pulled from the theaters. It also went, I think it was Aquarius Films. They actually re-ran it in theaters with like the advertisements on the posters, like the film they tried to ban, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then this is, they actually added the uncut oh, okay. scenes into it. So, you know, it, it creates this following, right? And the people involved didn't think at that time, and especially now, that this film would be revered. You know, I read that Quentin Tarantino, this is like one of his favorite films. And he and Rob Rodriguez, they quoted the grandpa and Billy scene at the oh. asylum or the facility, <laughs> like verbatim. They did that on stage, I think, at like some screening of this That's film. That's funny. Yeah, because they were fans, apparently. So it's interesting. It's, it's caused the guy who played Billy, Wilson, right? He was kind of ashamed of this film a little bit because of, you know, the whole idea. Like, they hated it. They detested it. Mm-hmm. So he didn't like it being brought up. A lot of them didn't. But now it's, like I said, it's revered. It's a classic. It's a slashic. <laughs> it's one of those holiday films. I'd stack up there. Black Christmas is far superior, but it's a really good compliment to it in terms of it's that time there. period. It's up there. I mean, there's not a lot of really, really good Christmas horror. Not really. But there's some pretty dang good movies still mixed in there. And like, yeah, for Gremlins horror, is kind of horror. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely say that. I mean, we've mentioned, too, with Inside and mm-hmm. films like that. Even Calvair, <laughs> you know. So we've got some good ones. You know, they're in there. Yeah, those are more, like, tangentially horror. Oh, too. yeah. I mean, yeah. tangentially Christmas, not tangentially. They're all on horror. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. This one's, like, all on Christmas. Exactly. This is in-your-face Christmas. But I enjoy the shit out of this film. It still holds its water 35 years later, mm-hmm. man. It's a good, fun watch. I think this is a good one, too, to be playing like in uh, theaters like the Roxy and stuff like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm really glad we saw it. Coming up next, though. Ooh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a whole fucking new year. It's going to be a whole new decade. Oh, dude. Wild. So we're not doing a particular movie. We're going to take a look back. Do we have a guest? Have you talked to him? I have talked to him. I'm not sure if he's 100 or not, but we'll we find might out. have a guest. We'll see. Do you know how you guys find out? 
by hitting subscribe so that you get that episode as soon as we drop it. And we're going to be taking a look back at this past year, at the past decade, and just talking about horror we fucking like, because we yeah, talk about the other shit. It's a retrospect. It's going to be fun. You know, just us kind of reminiscing about this past decade and a lot of the films we've covered. Yeah, so please hit subscribe however you're listening to us. You can always go check out our website, www.friedsquirms.com. Our entire back archive can be found there. You can also just click links on the site because it's there if you're already going to Fried Squirms. Or if you just want to check out the giant parent site as a whole, you can go to earverm.com. That's E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com as we are a Earworm podcast now, as we're getting all this going. Uh, you can hear me over on General Nerdery. Yeah, boy. Other things to come as we get more going. I know that there's different plans in the works by multiple people, so we'll see what all goes on there. Yeah. That's cool. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or you can search for Fried Squirms across any of the social medias. I've been lazy on some of the <laughs> website stuff, so I'm not sure how easy it is to navigate from the website currently, but it will be up soon, so check back to the website to see. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but once again, recommendations, suggestions. You know, we're getting into a new decade of horror, which is going to be fun. So once again, just let us know what you think, and uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. But for this Christmas podcast, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.